Ms. Wayland. It's a bit of a toss-up this week whether we'd uh, do something different uh, with our sermon, um, considering the circumstances. Um, at the same time, uh, we need to keep going and keep worshipping God. So we have decided to keep on with our series today, um, understanding that many of us will find it hard to concentrate. Uh, however, we'll, we'll keep going. So um, let me pray and uh, ask God to help us to concentrate. Our great God and Father, we uh, thank you for an opportunity to be hopeful and joyful in the midst of uh, our many dark hours. Uh, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, teach us your word today. Father, there is no other name that endures and no other song that remains but the name of Jesus. And so, Father, help us to see Jesus and to worship him even now. Jesus name we pray. Amen. So we're actually starting a, a new series today. Well, it's not quite right. We started a new series uh, about six weeks ago at our Converge conference where CS began a talk uh, called the, the Core Values um, of Cornerstone. And uh, his first talk uh, was on... Um, being compelled by the gospel. So, our core values uh, is our character as a church. What is our character? Every person has a character. Core values are about the way in which we act, what we think is important in, as part of our character and our devotion. We have a, a, um, a vision for our church, which is on, the, on, on your bulletins. And uh, we don't often make mention of it, or we'll do today, because it, it reflects something of that. Our vision statement is, is what we do as a church, and our vision statement is this. We reach out, we make disciples, and build a biblical community to the glory of God. So Cornerstone's vision, what we do, we reach out, we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus in word and in deed. Uh, Cornerstone also want to make disciples. So no free rides here at Cornerstone. To be a Christian is synonymous with following Jesus. That means to be living like him, walking with him and becoming like him. That's discipleship and we're all active in growing in God's glory and grace. Our other value is to grow in a biblical community, our vision, sorry. Uh, That means as Christians we're not purely independent beings. Uh, Because of Jesus, we are joined together, we are literally the body of Christ, and that's what we do. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community, we're trying to make disciples, trying to share the gospel with the world. The way in which we do that is our values, okay? Uh, What what way, what's the character that we have uh, as a church? And so today, uh, the character we we are going to talk about uh, is that of servanthood. So I need just a couple of quick volunteers just to break up the morning a little bit. So, uh, Graham, can you come up, please? Jeffrey Al, can you come up as well, please? I might pick on Josh as well. Josh, you can come up. Come on up. Come over here, mate. Put that on. Okay. That's good. If you can tie it around, that'd be great. Mal, you can, you can roll up here too, mate. Oh, that, I might keep that for Mal, I think. Here, Mal. This one's yours, mate. That's you. Okay. Can you put that on for you, mate? Okay. <laughs> I'll have a look for you, mate. I'll see what I got here. 
Oh, there's a nice flowery one for you. Um, that one's for you as well. Now, gentlemen, you need to uh, keep that on the entire time we're together here at church because you are such great servants and that is to help to remind us, this is a visual way reminding us that uh, now who's, oh, I don't know, you win now. Um, uh, I think that's, is that Grace's? Who's? Someone's hands. Is that your hand, Grace? Or Isaac and Dex? Anyway, Grace, it's Grace's, okay. Now, hands up if you think that uh, Josh's apron is the best. No, one, three, I think it's the best because it's plastic, you never have to wash it, just, it's great. What about Graham's hands up? Uh, there's a few more, a few more. Jeffrey, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. That's not bad. What about Mouse? Anyone see Mouse? Hands up if you like Mouse. Oh, I don't know, Mouse. It's been you and Jeffrey. Anyway, thanks, gentlemen. Go on, sit down. Keep, keep the aprons on. So you're ruining that for the day. Go to bed in that as well. Okay, so we're talking about servanthood, that part of our uh, character as a church is that we want to be people who have servant hearts, people whose hearts are not about themselves, but seek opportunity to, to serve others, okay? And we're going to get that uh, from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Would, have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 with me, please. So we had one verse we'll look at today, and it's going to break up into three or four points. This is the word of our God. This is Jesus speaking to us today in the midst of everything. This is what he says to us. He says, you, my brothers, were not were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. And so that's, that's the scripture today. Uh, if you know the book of Galatians... Uh, this theme of freedom can sum up the entire letter that Paul writes to the church in, Gal- in Galatia. That's, that's a theme that runs through it, is freedom. And I want to do the Mel Gibson thing right now, but I won't. Can someone else do it? It is so cool. You ever see anyway, Braveheart, great movie, freedom. It's a very strong word that Paul uses. You know the word freedom, but he actually says... You were called to be free. That God, uh, the Savior and Creator of the world, is calling the church and saying, You are free. You have liberty. And God says, It's my call. I'm calling you to be free. It's a very powerful language. Normally called to be a prophet or a priest or a king. And God is calling the church to be free. But free from what? Most will say free from sin, and that's true. Free from death, that's true. Free from judgment, and that's true as well. But in the context in which Paul is writing, almost paradoxically, he says you are free from God's law. You are free from obeying and under the condemnation of God's law. That is what he's saying. That's the whole argument. For to be saved, you do not need to obey the Ten Commandments. To be saved, you do not have to obey the Sabbath. 
to be saved, you do not have to obey anything in the Old Testament to be saved. It's a big call, isn't it? That is the argument of Galatians. And Paul proves it. And in the middle chapters, he goes to the Old Testament and says, Abraham. Think about Abraham. Did Abraham have the Old Testament when he was called? Did he? No. The law came 400 years after Abraham. So how was Abraham saved? He was saved by faith. Okay. Don't need the law to be saved. The second argument that Paul makes is that Jesus fulfills the law's demands on our behalf. See, so he fulfills the sacrificial laws, he fulfills the moral law, he fulfills the legislative laws and the spiritual laws. Jesus perfectly fulfills them on our behalf. Therefore, Christian, you don't have to obey the Old Testament. You don't. There are no laws. You are free. Hugely free. And the whole book of Galatians is Paul getting so frustrated with the church, chapter 1 and verse 3, I am astounded that you so quickly dump the gospel and go back to the law. That's what he says. Christian, you are free. You are free from the obligation to obey. You are free from the condemnation of the law. You are free. And so the dilemma comes in the first century and for the church today. If I don't have to obey the law, how do I live? How do I live my life as a Christian if the law has no obligation or impingement upon me? And that is the question being answered here today. If we are not under law, how do we live? Verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. So that's the negative. You are free, point one. Point two, with your freedom, don't indulge your sinful nature. The word sinful nature is literally the word flesh. It really means the, what I call the instinctive self, the natural self, what I call the natural appetites. Everyone has natural appetites, whether it's food, whether it's water, whether it's love or to be loved, or sexuality, doesn't matter. Those natural appetites that we all have are the flesh, are our nature. Paul's nuance to that, not necessarily a sinful nature, it is simply the appetite of our self. And Paul says, which is God saying to us through the Scriptures, do not use your freedom as an opportunity, an empowerment, a situation you can take advantage of, do not use your freedom to take advantage of now to indulge your natural instincts. That is to give way to yourself, your sexuality, your food, your insecurities, whatever those appetites might be. If you are free from the law, don't use your freedom to indulge in the self. It's not about you. Your freedom is not an opportunity for you to fill up your pride, to fill up your sexual desires. It is not an opportunity to fill up your arrogance. 
freedom is not to be for self undiluted pleasure. Even though you have no obligation to the law. You don't. Christ has set you free. What are you going to do with your freedom? Two options. Freedom to do what you want. As one man's put it, Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. You can write, if you're taking notes, write that one down. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. I mean, you're allowed, you can sin if you wanted to. You are free to do that. But if you have the Spirit of God in you, that is not how you use your freedom. Third part of verse 15 the third point. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Don't use your freedom opportunity to do what you want, but rather serve one another in love. Okay? So you are free from the law. So what do you do with the life that Christ has now given you? You are to serve one another in love. If you want a catchphrase, you are saved to serve. You're not saved just to be free, as if freedom is an end in itself, but free from the law and from its condemnation and from sin and from judgment. You are free, you are rejoicing, you are happy, you are engaged with the God of the universe. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to serve. That's the reason why Jesus saved you. He didn't save you, you can do what you want. It didn't save you, you become a super religious, super self-righteous person who obeys the law of God. How then do we live as a Christian? Service. This is, uh, this is how Augustine said it. He's a very clever guy. When he asked the question, how do you live the Christian life? He said this, love God, love God and live as you please. Love God and live as you please. He wasn't advocating sin. He wasn't saying that we can ignore the commandments of God. What he's saying is that when you love God, the rest comes. The true and living God, that is. When you love God, serve Him with freedom. So what food you eat, what drinks you drink, what days you worship, freedom. Do whatever you want, but do it for God because you love Him. An example of a man like this, his name is uh, the late Dawson Trotman. He was a founder of Navigators in the US and he was visiting Taiwan on one of his overseas trips. During the visit, he hiked with a Taiwanese pastor back into one of the mountain villages to meet some of the national Christians. The roads and trails were wet and the shoes became very muddy. Later, someone asked his Taiwanese pastor what he remembered the most about Dawson Trotman. And without hesitation, the man replied, he cleaned my shoes. 
how surprised his humble national pastor must have been to arise the next morning and to realise that the Christian leader from America had arisen before him and cleaned the mud from his shoes. Such a spirit of servanthood marked his life throughout his Christian life. In fact, he died as he lived. He actually giving his life to rescue someone else from drowning. There is a man who embodied servanthood. How should you live? Live in freedom, but use that freedom to serve one another. And he says, do it in love. So in summary, the Christian life is a free one. We don't use that freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but freedom for the service and sake of others in love. This is one of our key values here at Cornerstone. And so the question is, if you're a member, if you're a participant of this congregation, the simple question is, do you have a servant heart? Does the love of Christ compel you to serve? Does the love of Christ cause you and make you want to serve others? And so now I'm going to embark upon examining your hearts. I'm going to push and prod and ask you a few questions that are going to make you uncomfortable in order to expose possible some motivations that should not be there when it comes to service. So you ready? Let me get out the magnifying glass now. Here are a few possible suggestions why we lack a sermon The first one is that a church can fall into the idea of clericalism. Big word, clericalism. You know what that means? Clericalism is when a church gets entrenched in thinking that everything is the minister's job. I think I might enjoy this bit. Try not to smile too much. That is, it's the minister's job to organise the church. It's the minister's job to preach. It's the minister's job to visit the sick. It is the minister's job to do premarital counselling. It's the minister's job to do evangelism. It's the minister's job to do scripture in schools. It's the minister's job to show hospitality. It's the minister's job to do welcoming. It's the minister's job to do the bulletins. It's the minister's job to lead people out of obsessions and addictions. It's the minister's job to do counselling. It's the minister's job to do Bible studies. It's the minister's job to pack up and set up. It's the minister's job to train people for chairing, training them for music, training them for prayer, training them for Bible study training for biblical theology. It's a minister's job to dutifully attend the courts of the, of the church. It's, he needs to be involved in youth groups and young adults, in young marrieds, to visit the elderly, to marry people, to be involved in kids' club. It's a minister's job to show mercy and justice. It's a minister's job to do the kids' talk, to pray, to teach, to do missions, to plan churches, to present a vision, to do the newsletter, to do men's ministry. Just don't do women's ministry. Let me keep going. Clericalism happens in the church when you expect the minister to do all that. If a church thinks this way, it suffers from clericalism. It expects the paid minister to do it all. And if you think that I get paid, you've got it wrong. You don't pay me. You support me as I do gospel ministry, but you don't pay me. You might say, well, what is his job? My job is to train and reproduce mature Christians. It involves all those things I said. But half my week is spending time with people 
to encourage them and to strengthen them in Christ. You may know something about Cornerstone. We don't actually have a lot of staff for the size church that we are. For we do not believe in having full-time women's workers, nor having full-time men's workers, nor full-time children's workers, or youth workers, or counsellors, etc., etc., etc. Why? Because if we do that, we'll become entrenched in clericalism. All of a sudden, we'll make you consumers, that you'll have to pay everyone for doing the job. And you'll no longer see yourself as servants of the gospel, you'll see yourselves as consumers. You pay and you get your product. How do you know if you're a consumer and not a servant? By the way you come to church. Are you looking for a product? Are you looking for a good sermon? Are you looking for a good Sunday school? Are you looking for a good youth group? Then you're probably a consumer, not a servant. I think membership and the way people react to membership highlights the consumer mentality and not the servant mentality. Lots of people attend a church but don't belong to a church. Membership falls into two camps. Those who say, I come along and stay. But some say, I believe, but don't want to belong. And those who say, I believe, but don't want to belong, is a sign that you are a consumer and not a servant. The other thing which stops you from becoming a servant-hearted person is the issue of pride. That is when your service for Jesus is all about you. That is, a person comes to church, and it's had it, ha- have it happen to me, says, Hi, I want to serve. This is the only ministry I do. It's not unusual for a minister to meet a person who says, I have the gift of music. This is what I'm going to do. And then the minister says, No. What do they do? They make noise and they leave. The service of that person is not driven by the gospel, but by personal pride, where they serve to make myself feel better, I serve to make myself feel useful, I serve to get the praises of others, I serve to try and win favour with God, I serve to try and make God my debt and guarantee me a good life. These are the wrong motivations for serving, but many of us get caught up in it. This example of pride and wrong motivation for serving is found in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 18, there was an argument between two disciples, or a few disciples, about who is the greatest. In other words, their ministry about was about being great. How does Jesus answer that? He says, the servant is greater than the one he serves. There's another time when Jesus sends out 72 disciples and they return. They're excited and they're singing hallelujahs, hallelujah. The, the demons are outcasts because of me. Says, why, why are you singing your own praises for? So what? Praise God that your name is written in the book of life. He rebukes them. Don't get excited that your ministry is going well. It's not what it's about. Praise God that your name is written in, in the book of life. There's a really powerful passage in Luke 17, verse 10. And he's talking about a parable of servants. And he says this to these servants, you've done a great job serving, serving them, a great job. When he says to them, 
So also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. Take no pride in your service of God, that is the wrong motivation. Take no pride, you've only done your duty, and less. See, we can serve people, but our motivations might be wrong. They may be skewiff. There's one more motivation, one thing I'm going to raise as well that's, uh, that uh, I'm going to question you about. One of the reasons why we don't serve is that we are too busy. Those words, I'm too busy, are now illegal at Cornerstone. Here is the jar. Anyone who says it has got to put two bucks in it. You are all policemen now. If you hear someone say, I'm busy, this is going to be on the coffee table. Get them to go over, put two bucks in there, and bring it to James O. Fraser. Okay? Got it? Two bucks. How's your week? Busy. Ah, two bucks. Put it in there. I don't want to hear it anymore. It's driving me crazy. Don't be too busy. You know the story of Mary and Martha, don't you? Where Jesus is having a teaching period. And Martha, 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 Martha. Martha here. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help. Jesus says, ah, Martha, Martha. You're already upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen what is better. Mary's chosen not to be busy, but to sit at the feet of Jesus. But Martha, poor Martha, she's busy, busy, busy. She's busy serving, but she's busy, busy, busy. $2 every time. Okay, there's your rebuke. That's where I stick the needles in. Maybe, ah, oh, do I have a servant heart? Mm, maybe. We all have mixed motives. But I don't want to leave you on the negative. I want to encourage you. So like everything else in the Christian life, if we want to grow to be like Jesus, we must look to Him and have faith in Him. So our last point, Jesus, our servant King. I want to scroll through the life of Jesus so you can see Him and His servant heart. So Luke twenty-two twenty-seven, Jesus is teaching, this is what He says. It says, it's a question. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Who's greater? The one who's at the table, sitting down and having his meal, or the servant who's coming around bringing the food? Who's greater? On a social scale, who's greater? person sitting down. person sitting down is the master, person serving is a slave. On a social scale, the one sitting down is a higher social category than the servant. This is what Jesus says. Is it not the one who's at the table? We'll say yes. 
And he says, but I, referring to himself, am among you as one who serves. When Jesus considers his own life here on earth, he says, I am like one among you who serves. That is his attitude. His attitude to people is that he is a servant. Let's think in for a minute. Our master, the one we worship, says that he himself is a servant who waits on tables. The creator of the world, the name above all names, the one who lives in unapproachable light, in whom no darkness lives. I am like a servant among you. Jesus expresses this servant attitude when he, in John 13, washes the disciples' feet. It says this, John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, so he's a person of power, and that he has come from God and returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and after that poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. There you are, Jesus. He knows he has all the power in heaven and on earth given to him. It's mealtime. The guy's going to betray him, he's there. His disciples are going to desert him, he's there. So what does he do? He washes their feet as an expression of his servant-hearted nature. He actually says to them in verse 15, I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done. If I've done this, if I've served this way, you ought to do the same as well. I'm your master, you're my servant, you're no greater than me, then serve others. But it wasn't just theory, was it? Not just washing, but he said, this idea of washing feet, though it's literal, has a symbolic nature as well. And he's talking about his life and death on the cross. His life, in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says he is God and took the very nature of a, tell me, the very nature of what? Philippians 2, the very nature of a servant. From God to servant. In foretelling his death on the cross, he says this in John 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When you look at the cross, Jesus says, this is the way I am serving humanity. Come on, stop and think. Grasp it for a minute. Grasp it. How is God acting? That is the most profound thing you will ever see. God who serves on the cross. Great person cost himself for his enemies. And what about now in heaven? What's he doing? Pina Coladas? No, he's serving us in heaven. He's interceding for us, Romans 8, Hebrews as well. He's there serving us today. Romans 8 34 and Hebrews 7 25. He always live, lives to intercede for us praying 
for us, if we're God the Father, in the midst of the trials of life, we are not alone. Jesus is praying for us. And even when Jesus returns, we are told that he will serve us. Luke 12, 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds... Talk about Jesus' return, okay, when he's coming back again. It will be good for those servants whose, whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself, the master, to serve. And he will, recline, he will have them recline at the table and he will come and wait on them. Come on, guys. Do you get it? Not just the cross-serving... His life is one of service. The cross is serving. He's serving us in prayer today. And when he returns in power and majesty, he's going to put an apron on. And he's going to serve his people still in his glory and majesty. Do you see this Jesus? He's our master. And we are no greater than him. Christians, you are, in conclusion, you are free agents because of the gospel of Christ. He has set us free from sin, death, judgment and the law. How then will you live? Self or service? If it is service, what motivates you? Is it the gospel, the overflowing compulsion of Christ's love for you? Can you say with the Apostle Paul that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me? The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. His whole life is compelled by the gospel. So he becomes a servant. And you have a servant heart. A heart that follows the Saviour. And we are called to follow him, aren't we? Serving at times when we are humiliated, at personal cost. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what God is calling us to do today. Yeah, you're free, called you to freedom, but freedom to serve one another in love. For this is what Christ has done and is still doing. And we're going to remember that act of service of Christ at the Lord's Supper. And I might ask the music team to play some music for a while while the elders set up the Lord's Supper. And we're going to come to Christ that way.